All right, Revelation 16, let's pray and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. And then we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, this is not a seeker-sensitive chapter as we look at the righteous judgment of God. And Lord, we ask that this would be something that exhorts us, something that stirs us up to minister to people that don't know you, that they might not face this in the future. We thank you, Lord, for the promise in your word. We thank you for the upcoming chapters in Revelation, knowing that in the end, you win. And because you are for us, because we are with you, we have nothing to fear. So be our teacher this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So last week in chapter 15, we kind of got the overview of what we're going to look at in more detail in this morning's text. And as we look at the world around us right now, we need to understand that the wickedness, moral depravity, self-centeredness, the pride, the anger, the fear, the hopelessness, all of that is rebellion against Almighty God. This world is a mess because of us. Amen? It's because of people. It's not because of God. As a pastor, I get asked, all, what kind of loving God would allow this? It's not the loving God that's the problem. It's the ungodly people. It's the wicked people that are the problem. Amen? The world was ruined by man, and it, is rule, it was ruined by man, and it is ruled by Satan. And that's why Jesus had to come to rescue us. Amen? So it's, it was ruined by man, it's ruled by Satan. The Bible provides the only true beacon of light and hope in, dark, in the darkness to, and despair of this world. Guys, people are looking for answers. They're trying to find it everywhere. They're looking into, you know, the sex and drugs and alcohol and money and career and, and followers on, on social media and pleasure and whatever, they, you know, whatever that thing is, they're trying to find the answer. And the truth is there's no other hope, there's no other answer, there's no other way than Jesus Christ. He is our hope, and he is the only way to heaven. In, the, in these pages are comforting and encouraging and affirming words of love, peace, goodness, joy, truth, and salvation. Believers, we are reassured as we read God, of God's love and promises of our eternal inheritance in heaven. How many of you know that you're going to heaven? Praise the Lord. And if your hand's not up, we can fix that before you leave. Amen. But we know Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no-so. We know by the promises of Almighty God that we are going to heaven. But you know what? While the book of the Bible is a book of love and grace and mercy and hope, it's also a book of righteous judgment. Because the Lord loves righteousness and faith, he must hate sin and unbelief. Have you ever thought that, about that? He hates unbelief. Why? Because it separates us from him. Why does he hate sin? Because it separates us from him. The Lord is the truth, so he cannot tell a lie, and, and he hates lies. The Bible talks about who's the father of lies? Who's that? Okay, and who's the truth? Jesus. When you tell the truth, you're being Christ like. When you tell a lie, you're being Satan like. Just think about that for a minute. He cannot love goodness and not hate wickedness. Amen? He cannot reward unless he punishes. The Old and New Testament repeatedly warn of the coming judgment of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It says this in Matthew chapter 3. And even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees, and therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming who is mightier than I, this is John the Baptist speaking, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burnt up in an unquenchable fire. So wheat and the chaff, they can grow up together and look very much the same until it's harvest time. And as believers, just because we may look like other believers, just because we may go to church like other believers, just because we may, you know, have grown up in a home that believes in the Lord, guys, it's got to go beyond just being chaff that melts in with all the wheat. And the Bible tells us that by your fruit, they shall know you. Amen. John 3.36 warns us, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Again, if you're new here this morning, Welcome to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> we teach the whole counsel of God, and this is where we are in the Bible. And you know what? This is in the Bible so that we can be forewarned. Even though we know as Christians we will not face this, it should break our heart for everyone who will. Amen? It should be burdened for them. Colossians 3.6 says, The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath displayed earlier in Revelation and the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, will reach its devastating climax as we look at the bold judgments in this morning's chapter. And by the way, these judgments, as we go through them, there's seven of them this morning, they come rapid fire. They're not happening and then there's a six-month wait. We're going to see that the way that they're happening and the things that are taking place, they're just going to keep coming. And when we get to the end of the bold judgments, that's when we're coming back with the Lord. And praise God for that. Amen? So as we look at this this morning, I just, this final chapter of God's wrath upon the unbelieving world, again, comes right before the return of Christ and the last expression of divine wrath against sin, unrighteousness, blasphemy, that right now is rampant on the earth. The return of Christ will be described in chapter 19, chapter 17 and 18. It'll kind of take us back in time to a little bit before what the bold judgments, when we see the destruction of the Antichrist's government, both his governing and his uh, political power, political and religious empire. And so immediately following that will come these seven bold judgments, and then we will see that we will come back with the Lord, we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. And who's looking forward to that? Millennial kingdom, amen? So if you have your outline, grab it. And I tiled the message... And you'll see why when we get to it, it is done. Now, what does that echo in your mind any other thing that you heard? It is what? Finished. Finished. And you know what's amazing about this? It says it is done. And, we, and we're going to see in the text, it's God the Father speaking from the temple that was closed up at the end of the last chapter. And he is there and he says, it is done. And you know what? Jesus said, it is finished. And they echo each other. And this is what blew me away a little bit. I'm reading this, I look at like 20 commentaries and nobody's putting these two things together. And I'm starting to think, have I lost my mind? Am I the Because if I'm the only one that sees it, I'm not teaching it. You know what I mean? Like, because if it's new, it's not true. Can I get an amen to that? And finally, like the 23rd one I looked at, somebody linked him. I said, okay, now I can teach this, right? But Jesus said it is finished because he's the one that paid the price in full so that you and I, sinners, could be redeemed, be born again, and go to heaven. So Jesus, it is finished, is one, that's, is, is one of hope. The it is done is the righteous judgment of God upon all who reject it is finished. See, it is done on those who reject it is finished. And it's not by chance that those two phrases, one spoken by the Father, and one spoken by the Son. That's good stuff. Can I get an amen to that? 
So if, if you got the outline, grab it. It is done. The, the inescapable and righteous judgment of, of God upon those who refuse to repent. So salvation is offered universally, must be accepted individually. There's none righteous, no, not one. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Repent means to recognize that you are a sinner, to change your heart, to change your mind, to turn around and to surrender your life to almighty God. If we will not repent, and we're gonna see repeatedly in these bold judgments, they're not only gonna not repent, they're gonna blaspheme God. They're gonna get harder and harder and harder and harder. And the sad part is in the end, they're going to get what they've asked for, which is to have nothing to do with Almighty God. So point number one, the day is coming when Almighty God will, will suffer the rebellion of man no more. Is God, is God being gracious right now? What's the answer? He's, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, and he, and he suffers long, but you hear me always say, but he won't suffer always. There's going to come a time where sin must be judged, and we're going to see that in tonight's text. Let's look at the seven bold judgments. The first bowl is foul and loathsome sores. By the way, as we're reading through this, really glad I won't be here. How about you? <laughs> What's interesting is that they worship the beast who, and they had to take the mark of the beast. And literally now God is going to mark those with the mark of the beast with sores. And the word loathsome there means evil. So it's not surprising to me that someone who took an evil mark of the beast is now being tattooed by God with evil, loathsome sores. And so again, this is, each one of these is an opportunity to repent, but by the time we get to this place, their hearts are extremely hard. Number second bowl, the sea turns to blood. Back in Revelation 8, a third of the sea turned to blood in the previous judgments, and now this time, the entire sea is going to turn to blood. All, everything in the ocean is going to die. All of it. Third, we're going to see the flesh water turn to blood. Now, this is how we know that when these judgments start, it's not going to be very long before it's over. Because if there's no water to drink, how long do people survive? If all the fresh water sources turn to blood. And what's interesting about this is that they, with, with great vigor, were slaughtering Christians and shedding their blood. And now God's going to give them blood to drink. You know, you were, you were killing the martyrs. You were killing the believers. Remember earlier back in chapter, chapter six, where the martyrs cried out and said, Lord, when are you going to bring vengeance for us? They're under the altar and they're crying out to God. Well, this is it. He's bringing righteous vengeance. So there's no water. Now, some people may have tanks of water somewhere, right? You might have some water in your fridge. I don't need to worry about saving water because I ain't going to be here. Can I get an amen to that? But... We're going to see the fresh water turn to blood. Then we're going to see the fourth bowl, men scorched with great heat. What a great day to be teaching this text. <laughs> this is the global warming people should be worrying about. So literally, heat. So here, God's going to, is the sun a blessing? Yes. So the sun's a blessing, okay? But that blessing is going to turn to a curse once the rebellion of man and God's going to let the sun, you know, he controls it. He holds the stars, he holds the universe in the span of his hand. How big is our God? He holds our universe like that. How great is our God? But that blessing is going to turn into a curse and that heat is going to bring, uh, again, scorching. So think about this so far. Sores head to toe, blood, no water, scorching heat. Number five, darkness and pain. 
This darkness is so dark. Following the, the Antichrist, they were walking in spiritual darkness, and the Lord is going to give them what they've asked for. Well, you want darkness? Here you go. And it's going to be so dark that it's painful. How does that happen? We know that it says they're going to be gnawing on their own tongues. So let me say this again. You got sores, you got no water, you've got scorching heat and darkness and pain. What does that sound like? It sounds like hell. And literally there's going to be a preview of hell on earth during all these judgments. And you would think that people would be repenting, but we will see them shaking their fists at God and their hearts being hardened even more. No one's going to stand before God on judgment day and say, well, no, I really did want to be saved. I really did want to, I don't know how it's going to work, but I just imagine him playing the video of every, you know, well, let's take a look at all the chances you had to be saved. Here's all the times you blasphemed my name. Here's all the times you cursed me and rejected me. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Does he want everyone to be saved? What's the answer? Yes. But he will not force salvation on you. Then it says that number six bowl is uh, the Euphrates River dries up. Well, really what that does is it clears a way for this huge army to come from the east. And we're going to see demonic beings gathering these armies together. And it's going to be like they're going to have a war with somebody and they're going to start to come against, in war against Israel. But what's really going to happen is that as they start to battle Israel, we're coming back with Jesus and they're going to engage Almighty God in a war. And I wonder who wins that program. <laughs> Amen. And then finally, we're going to see the seventh bowl. It is done. The whole earth will be shaken. There'll be a hundred pound hailstones falling from the sky. And Jesus paid the price for those who repent, but those who refuse to repent will pay themselves. Either you pay for your sin or you allow the Lord to. That, that, it, everybody's eternal. We're all going to live forever. It's just a matter of where we spend eternity. Amen? So let's dig in. This is going to be a heavy text and, and praise God again. Every time I read of things like this, I am just so much more thankful again of his, for his grace. Amen? How many of us deserve to go to hell? We all do. And I want to tell you this, you're not going to heaven because you deserve to go to hell less. We all deserve to go to hell just as much. Guys, we're not saved because we do less bad things. We're saved because Jesus Christ paid for all the bad things that we've done and all the ones that we will ever do. And because of his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, guys, we can, you know, the only bridge to salvation walks over the cross of Calvary. Amen. And so it's not because we deserve heaven. And, and you know what? There's nothing more nauseating than a self-righteous, arrogant Christian. Amen? You have nothing to be arrogant about. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's not about your best life now, whatever else you listen to on Christian television. It's all about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? So let's begin there looking at the first. We'll see that a day is coming when Almighty God will suffer the rebellion of men no more. It says in verse 1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Go back to verse eight of the previous chapter. Look what it says there. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So who's the only one in the temple in heaven? Who is it? It's almighty God, right? So when the voice comes from heaven, who's speaking? God. Almighty God. So Almighty God is the one who is sending these seven angels 
With the seven plague, we've already had the seven seals and the seven trumpets. Now we have the seven bowls. Seven in the Bible is the number of what? Okay. So here's what we see is this picture now of these greatest judgments of them all, the ones that are going to bring are going to bring to the end of the earth as we know it, and the righteous judgment of God. In Revelation 15, 8, again it's it's said, since no one could enter the temple, the loud voice again must be God Himself. And so we just read that verse. And so it says there, pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. If you were here last week, we talked about these bowls and they're really more like saucers. They're very shallow. And so it's not something where you're pouring something out for a long time. It's a small thing where as soon as you turn it over, it all comes out. So when these happen, they're not going to happen gradually over weeks, months, and years. It's going to happen like they're going to be one right after another. And each thing's going to happen. And each opportunity is an opportunity to repent, but no one's going to. There are going to be people on the earth during that time that already know the Lord, and we're going to see that while the others are marked, they are not. But these are people that got saved during the Great Tribulation. And again, the word wrath there that he uses, I told you this last week, so the word wrath is used several hundred times in the Bible, but only 11 times, there's two ver- words for wrath, one's orge, and that word literally means like a, uh, an established, expected response, and it's, it's much more calm, but it's done in order. This word, themos or thymos, is only in the Bible 11 times, 10 times it's in Revelation, and it literally means an angry, fierce wrath. So if you, never, if you didn't think God ever got angry, he's angry here. Why is he angry? Because for 6,000 years, he's been trying to redeem the world. Amen? Why is he angry? Because he created people in his image and they rebelled against him. And we see now his anger comes to an end they're, because the people left on the earth are all blaspheming him. They're all, they're all killing the people that follow him. They've all aligned themselves with the Antichrist, with Satan and the false prophet. And now God's had it. He's had it. And now he's going to bring righteous judgment. God will suffer long, but he won't suffer always. By the way, the word earth there literally means it's, it's GE where we get the word geography. And it literally means the entire world. So this wrath isn't just being poured out on Jerusalem or the Middle East, or it's coming on the whole planet. So here comes the righteous judgment of God. Here come the seven bold judgments. And it says there, the first one we will see, point number two, loathsome swords. Look what it says in verse two. It says, the first, so the first went out of the seven angels and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came out upon the, came out, came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Now notice, who is it that is righteously judged by a righteous God? The ones who choose to worship Satan. Those who choose to follow the Antichrist. Those who rejected Almighty God and the Son that he sent to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Again, salvation is a free gift. It's offered universally, must be accepted individually. So he desires that none should perish, but he will never force it on you. So if you reject it, in this case, we're going to see that judgment, this judgment, there's going to be believers on the earth. Most of them are going to be martyred, but there will be some that are enduring through the tribulation. None of them are going to get these judgments. God's going to rescue them from those. But those who reject him, they're going to face it. Now, I talked about this. The word loathsome there literally means of bad nature or wicked. The word foul there means uh, evil, destructive, 
and wicked. So they are evil and evil sores. They're foul and loathsome sores. So what's happening is you've got people who have chosen to live evil lives, to, to not respond to the gospel, and now God is going to pour out upon them this, that, that, you know, an evil mark. So they've already lined up with the beast. They've already got the mark of the beast. They're already following Satan. They're following the Antichrist. And now God is going to mark them with fierce and loathsome sores. We're going to see more than a couple bull judgments are very similar to the plagues in Egypt. As we're going through these bull judgments, you go, where did I hear that before? Well, a lot of them are going to be the things that God used through Moses to get the people set free from bondage in Egypt after 430 years. See, the Bible rocks and everything in the Bible, it all points to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And so it's in there and we, we can recognize that. So the sixth of the plagues uh, that Moses brought to Egypt was this dust that turned to sores, boils on the people. So the sores, again, will not affect the believers, only those that have chosen to align with the Antichrist by taking the mark of the beast. So these sores already, that's not something anybody wants, but let's keep reading. The next one is the sea turns to blood. It says, then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. Notice the first one was poured out on the earth. This one's poured out on the sea. And it became blood as a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Now, should we be good stewards of the earth? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. And should we, you know, I'm not worried about global warming. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. But at the same time, I want to be a good steward that God, we inhabited the earth right now and we need to be good stewards of it. But the, the climate change is not what people should be worried about. And it's not the environmentalists trying to keep the seas from being, uh, you know, contaminated. I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to be contaminated. And the only way you don't have to worry about them being contaminated is if you give your life to Jesus Christ, because you'll be in heaven while they're being contaminated. Amen? And so the Lord is, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, which means this one's going away. Amen? And so when it does, hand of God, and, and in this case, it's, these are rapid fire. You're covered in boils, you're covered in sore, loathsome sores, and, and all of a sudden, the, all the, the entire sea. Can you imagine what the sea would smell like if everything in it was dead and it was filled with blood? Nobody's going to be going to Zuma Beach. Amen? You go out there and look, what do you see? You see it's just, it's a horrific, what is this? Death. See, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we were given life, but through this blood that is being poured out upon the earth, it brings forth death because it's not the blood of our Savior. Amen? So they got loathsome sores, and all of a sudden, the, the, and, you know, and they were already struggling with famine, right? They're seven years into the tribulation. They've already seen a third of the world's population die in a single day, and then a fourth of the world's population die in a single day. And they've seen what's happened to the crops. They've seen what's happened. They're already in a bad place, and now the sea is filled with blood. Tragic. Revelation 8, 9 says, in the second trumpet judgment, a third of the sea turned to blood. That was God giving them an opportunity to repent. Here's, because of your disobedience, because you're walking in violation of the word, because you're following after the Antichrist, here's a third of the seeds are, are turned to blood. They don't repent, it takes them all. Guys, every time that the Lord warns us, every time that the Lord brings something to us, there, you know, there's consequences. And those are opportunities to repent, amen? 
with conviction. God is giving us an opportunity to get right with him again. And guys, if we continue down that path, I promise you over time, because he loves you, the consequences are going to get worse, not better. And sadly, we're going to see that as the consequences are getting worse, they're just getting harder. They're just getting more disgusted with God. And they're continuing to shake, shake their fists at God. Every living creature died. Living creatures cannot survive in blood. Bloody seas, dead fish. And again, imagine the stench of the seas filled with dead fish. Fourth bowl, fresh waters. The waters turn to blood. Look what it says here in verse four. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. So the first bowl is poured out on the earth. The second bowl is poured out on the seas. And the third bowl is poured out on the rivers and the springs, the sources of fresh water that we need to survive. And so two thirds of the, of the earth is covered in water and all of it's going to be bloody and none of it's going to be drinkable. And judgment is coming. He suffered long, but he won't suffer always. With the third trumpet back in uh, Revelation 8, a third of the rivers were polluted and many died from drinking the water. So they have some experience with this. Yeah, you can't touch that water. That stuff kills you. Well, now all the water's that way. I would think everybody would be on their face crying out to God, help, amen? But that's not what we're gonna see. And, and you know, here, let me, look, I, I, I'm an evangelist at heart. Um, it drives my wife crazy. Everywhere I go, I just talk to everyone. I just talk to everyone. I just talk to everyone. I don't care if I'm lying, wherever I'm at. And I just talk to people. I wanna talk to them about Jesus, just do. And, am I, and I have such a burden to see people saved. My heart just absolutely breaks when I meet people that just want nothing to do with the Lord. And it's so tragic. And the Lord wants people to be saved. He desires it. But we can't make them do it. Amen? Amen. We can't afford. And look, if, if God's sending his son, and if the Lord creating us in his image, and then the Lord bringing the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even to a lost and a dying world, they calm their conscience. And if they're not going to respond to the Lord... Righteous judgment often is not going to help because the judgment, they just get madder at God. It's God's fault. It's God's fault that I'm in trouble because I did something sinful and wicked and now I'm reaping the consequences. Guys, it's never God's fault. It's always our fault. Amen? Praise God that we're new creations in Christ. Amen? It's a complete contamination of all the water. By the way, you can't water crops. You can't grow anything. That's why we know this is coming to an end. I mean, we're, we're, we're days away, maybe weeks at the most. It's coming as these bowls are being poured out one right after another. They thirsted after blood when they massacred the saints and the Lord says, here's some blood to drink. How's that working for you? You went after the blood of the saints. You martyred the saints. You were killing people. You wanted to rule and reign. You thought you were smarter than God. Let's see how that works out. All, of, all they had left to drink again after God's righteous judgment is blood and again, time to, of, of end is near as the human race cannot survive much longer. Look what it says in verse five. It says, and they heard an angel of the water saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, and who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you've given them blood to drink, for it is their what? Justice. Which means they deserve it. We are so focused on the grace of God, and we should be. We are so focused on it. You almost come to places now where you'll have 
denominations and pastors and, and Christians who will teach only grace. And they won't talk about righteous judgment. But see, our God is a loving God of grace, but he's also a holy God. I had a lady at our church in Santa Cruz who would come up to me anytime I taught something and mentioned sin. She goes, you need to stop talking about sin. You need to stop talking, you need to stop talking about sin. I'm like, okay, and I'm not, yeah, that's not gonna happen. It's in the Bible. Well, we just need to, we just need to preach, you know, sunshine and bubbles and joy. There's a church you can go to in Houston, Texas that does that. But no, it, <laughs> the, the point is that the point is that the worst thing we can do is let people go to hell without Jesus and try to make them feel good about it on the way. We need to love each other enough to warn us, to warn people of the judgment that is coming. Is, is there anything better than being a follower of Jesus Christ? Is there anything this world has to offer that comes close? It's all, it's all chaff. It's all going to burn. And we know the King of Kings and the Lord. Jesus Christ is my best friend. I know him better than I know my wife of 38 years. I walk in intimate fellowship with him. Man, I, I can't imagine living on this planet without him, but people do, and we need to reach them with the love of Christ. Amen? But we also need to preach to them the fact that righteous judgment has come. Notice he says, or you have shed. The same Greek word was used in pouring out their bowls. What he's saying is they've poured out the blood of the saints. Now something is being poured out on them. The word just do there is literally where they would weigh when they would sell something in the market and you wanted to buy a whatever, you know, certain amount of pounds of wheat or shekels of wheat or whatever it would be, they would put one on this side and then they would take stuff that weighed that and they would put it on this side and make sure that you got what you deserved. So the word just do here is literally you're getting what you deserve. We're weighing out the sinful, wicked things you've done, the way you've rejected God, the way you've slaughtered and killed saints, the way you've, you know, you've walked in open blasphemy and served a, the, the Antichrist. And we're just going to measure out the judgment that equals that. We all deserve to have all of our sin weighed and have the judgment measured out. But here's the good news. It was measured out and Jesus took it on his back for you. He hung on the cross for you. While we were yet sinners, again, he died for us. It's interesting, they rejected the living water, and now they have no water to drink. And they're going to be given death to drink. Verse 7, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So we're getting these righteous judgments coming, but you'll notice that the only praiseworthy words that are being praised toward the Lord are coming from angels or coming from the altar in heaven. So what it's saying is that by this point, the praises of God are almost completely going to be limited to coming from heaven because the world at this point, outside of a few, you know, uh, tribulation saints, is just has a hatred toward God like never before. And they're shaking their fist at him. And we're living in a time, and again, I'm I mean, I'm old enough, I'm 60 years old, and in my lifetime, when I was a kid in elementary school, we did Christmas programs with Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the wise men in public school. Ten Commandments were on the wall in my classroom. You could talk about Jesus openly. You could pray. And now, if you want to get someone jumping down your throat, just say something about the Lord. 
And people get mad. You know why? Because all they want is what their flesh wants. And they don't want, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And denying self means denying the things that your flesh wants, the very things that will destroy you. Amen? So the praises are only coming from those heavenly beings and those who recognize Jesus for who he is. And the rest of them want nothing to do with him. They're cursing his name. The justice will be appropriate. Again, the world doesn't like it. Well, that doesn't seem fair that I have. Why, well, why, would, why, would, I, why would anybody have to? Who, who, would send, who would send a person to hell forever? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. Right? Have you heard that question? Why would, what kind of loving God would do that? The same loving God that went to the cross of Calvary, so you don't have to do that. Amen? Amen? He, he gave us a way out. He gave us this, you know, come, come have a relationship with him. And by the way, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not eternal beings when we get saved. We're, I mean, when we get to heaven, we're already eternal beings now. Amen? He's already walking with, he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. We're, he's the down payment on heaven. Judgment is appropriate. And again, I shared that paradox with you last week that we've seen in Revelation, because here's the paradox. The paradox is, is two seemingly opposing things that are happening at the same time. And so well, here's what happened. He desires that none should perish, but he's going to righteously judge all men. And both those things are true. So as he is righteously judging men, what is his desire? That people would get saved. Why does the tribulation even take place? Because during those seven years, as I said last week, I believe more people will get saved in those seven years than ever, anybody's ever gotten saved in a seven-year period in the history of the world. Now, that's just my perspective. We're going to see a massive number of Jewish people getting saved. Praise God. Amen? They're God's chosen people. He's not done with them yet. We're going to see the 144,000 you know, Jewish Billy Graham sharing their faith. We're going to see Moses and Elijah. People are going to be getting saved. And that's why... Because he could, could he just not even have a tribulation and just go, let's just, let's just snatch you all up right now. Could he do that? What's the answer? But why does he not do that? Because more people need to be saved. Amen? There's more people that need to know the Lord. And so, you know, as we live on this planet and we endure what we go through in this life, we need to be reminded there's a reason why we're still here. God's not done. Amen? And God wants to use you and he wants to use me for his kingdom and for his glory. Look at uh, number four there in verse eight. Number four is, again, the men scorched with great heat. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. So you notice they've poured out bowls on the earth, on the sea, on the fresh waters, on the sun. And what is God doing? He's literally bringing judgment upon all of creation, the very creation that he created. He's going to wipe it all out. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And so each of these judgments is taking away another thing that was a blessing. Everything that was being taken away and being replaced by righteous judgment. What is normally, again, to be taken for granted as a blessing, the warmth of the sun, is now a curse. Instead of light, warmth, and beauty, it's going to be scorching men with fire. But notice what it says as we read this. It's, it's going to be scorching these men. And then it says there in verse 9, and the men were scorched with great heat and they repented. Is that what it says? What does it say? They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So the judgment is coming. Man, I need to get right with God. You know, I, I did prison ministry for about 15 years in different places. And when you do prison ministry, 
I love it because I have a captive audience, which is great, right? But there are people that recognize I'm, I'm not heading the right direction. I, this isn't working out. This is not my, you know, my sixth grade class paper, what do you want to do in life? I want to go to prison and wrote nobody ever, right? <laughs> but I went and talking to these guys, you have some in, that are in there that recognize it. And, and, and I've had some that would get saved and guys that were lifers. And one guy, when I was in Lancaster for many, many years, he was the guy that did the announcements and he was in prison for killing seven people. But he'd been born again and he was a new creation in Christ. And he says the best thing that ever happened to me was getting thrown in prison because I realized where I was headed and it made me want to get saved. So sometimes the consequences can be used by God to turn people toward him. Amen? Amen. We start to recognize, what in the world am I doing? Look at my life. It's a total mess. Well, the way of the transgressor is hard. Don't be surprised. The Bible told you it would be. So now repent. But in this case, there comes a place where people are so hard. And we've all met people like that, haven't we? Now, again, nobody's beyond salvation. Keep praying for them. But I've met people that you start talking about Jesus, and I, you think they're going to get a hatchet out and destroy. I mean, they're just, God, you know, you see this, this anger and this, you know, and you're like, whoa. And you think they're beyond salvation. As I mentioned last week, uh, who, who was the last guy that early Christians would have thought was going to get saved? Paul. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. He was killing Christians holding coats while they stone Stephen, cheering him on, running about thinking self-righteously, and then he gets saved, and God used him to write most of the New Testament. Praise the Lord. So nobody's beyond salvation. Amen? We need to keep praying for everyone. We don't know who, who's going to respond. Only God does. And so we pray. But here, the heat is being turned up. They're getting a preview of hell. We've got heat. We've got no water. So they're thirsty. They're covered in boils and sores. And what do they do? They blaspheme God. They blame God for the consequences of their rebellion against God. And they blaspheme his name. Loathsome sores, sea turned to blood, fresh water turned to blood, scorching heat. Sounds like what? Hell. But again, we see how hard these hearts are. Not only do they not repent, but they blaspheme the name of God. They would not turned from their sin and said they cursed the God, cursed God for resulting judgment and misery that came from their own sin. So scorching heat comes upon the earth. People are being burned with fire. They don't turn to the Lord. They continue to harden their hearts. Look at the fifth bowl there, darkness and pain, verse 10. It says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnaw their tongues because of the pain. And they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Are you seeing a pattern here? God brings the judgment, they don't repent. God brings a judgment, they blaspheme his name, they don't repent. God brings a judgment, they keep shaking their fists at God. All of these will stand before God and be judged. And they're going to have all these opportunities that they had to be saved that they rejected. Notice it says here, he's been pouring it out on the water and pouring it out on the sun. But here, he actually pours out the judgment on the throne of the beast. Who's the beast? No, not Satan. The Antichrist. Who's the dragon? Okay, that's back in Revelation earlier. So he pours it out on... The, so the Antichrist has been the most popular guy on the planet for a time. And what does he do? He's going to be charismatic we even believe from Revelation earlier, he will probably die and raise from the dead or appear to be dead and get back up. 
And all the people will see it and they're all going to be following him. And he's going to bring some solutions in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. I think, you know, only God knows, but I think it might be with famine. I mean, if everybody's starving and somebody figures out how to feed you, people will get in line behind that guy. And then what happens, he has a false prophet who's kind of the leader of all the religions who's going to try to get everyone to follow after the Antichrist. And he's going to be that second beast who's got everybody following him. Well, now the beast who's been for a while seeming to be in charge and be the answer for the world, God's righteous judgment is being poured out on his throne. The thrones of man are all temporary. They're not going to last. And the kingdom became full of literal Darkness. The darkness was so heavy it could be felt. What was the ninth plague in Egypt? It was darkness that could be felt. So it was darkness that was so heavy they could feel it. And that's exactly what's going to take place. Again, we're looking at the. So what did the Lord do through all the plagues in Egypt? What did he end up? They ended up being delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. So they were delivered out of bondage and all the other plagues did not get the people set free. Which one did? Killing of the firstborn, but what had that? It was Passover. And what did they do? They took the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. The angel of death passed over and then they were set free. Guys, the Bible rocks, amen? None of the other judgment got anybody to say, it didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. Picture the cross, everybody gets set free. Guys, because only through the cross of Calvary will we be set free from sin and death. Amen? The Bible's so good. I just love it. Notice it says there, they gnawed at their tongues because of the pain. The darkness of the fifth bowl is a preview of hell, which is described by Jesus in Matthew 25. It's outer darkness. Those under the fifth bowl judgment, in a sense, are standing on the shores of the lake of fire. They've got the seas and the thirst and the scorching heat and now the darkness that hurts and they're gnawing on their tongues because of their pain and you would think somebody would, re- would repent. Somebody would cry out to God for forgiveness. But look at verse 11 again. They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains, their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. See, this is what people like to do that walk in the flesh and it's something we can all do if we're not careful, right? Is instead of recognizing my sin is my fault. Blame God. Be the victim, not the, not the person, not, not the criminal. And so we point at somebody else. Do we live in a time right now when no, well, almost no one wants to take the, you know, faults for their own behavior? It's always someone else's fault. We're always the victim. Sin isn't sin, it's a disease. I don't know. I'm not a sinner. You know, I'm, I, I, one guy said, I'm a sexual addict. Bro, you're a fornicating adulterer and you need to repent, bro. Stop it. Just stop that already. Amen? Uh, well, it's this disease I have. We've all got a disease. It's called S-I-N. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to repent. And so here's what's taking place is there's given another chance to repent. And what do they do? Oh, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. You see all these people deconstructing on the internet? You've seen this? Guy, I, I was a pastor for 20 years. Now I've walked away and I'm deconstructing my faith. Bro, you were never saved because anybody who truly knows the Lord would not walk away. And if you did, you'd be so convicted, you'd be laying on the ground crying. Can I get amen to that? And it's nauseating and they're blaming God. Well, I walked away because I have a friend that has this problem. God, what kind of loving God would do that? Loving God didn't do it. Sinful man did it. Amen? Not in their tongues. It did not repent of their deeds. 
In man's simple condition, he increases his sin when under God's judgment, the very time he should be forsaking it. The very time we should be running to the Lord because of where we are, because of our own self-righteousness and our own flesh-driven life, we run away from him when we should be running to him. Amen? Amen. He's the answer. There is no other answer. Real penitence is when a man gives God the glory and, and praises him for his justice. We need to praise God when he convicts us. Amen? We need to praise God when he disciplines us because he knows what's best for us. Amen? Those that the Lord loves, he disciplines and praise God for it. The sixth judgment, verse 12. This is the Euphrates River is getting dried up, but what the real judgment is, is going to be the mounting up of a great army that's all going to head, come to a head in Armageddon, Harmageddon. If you go to Israel with us in January, we will be up on Mount Carmel. We will teach on Elijah calling fire down from the sky, and then we will look out on Armageddon, and I will probably be teaching this chapter right here, or one of the other chapters, where this battle is going to take place. And so here's the judgment of God. He's going to let them mount up their army, and these demons are going to go out and drag them all in one direction, and they're going to think they can defeat Almighty God. Proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. It's foolish to think that you're smarter than God. Amen? Look at verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out the bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. So that the armies are going to come from the east, and you know, Syria and China, all these places, are going to be coming from the east toward Israel to attack. And as they're mounting up, they're gonna, this you know, judgment's just going to dry up the, the river so they can just walk right on it and walk right into Israel thinking they're going to go in and win a great battle. Some of the other nations are Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, China. I've been to India seven times teaching pastors out there how to study and teach the Bible. And even though we see a nation that may be, you know, acting in an ungodly way, well, you can include the United States now, now can't you? So it's not you know, it's not an entire nation of people, but it's the nation that will be involved. There are people, they're believers within all those nations, amen? And God's not done with them. And then it says in verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Who's the dragon? Out of the mouth of the beast. Who's that? Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. Demons that look like frogs coming out of their mouths. What was another one of the plagues in Egypt? Frogs. The Bible rocks, amen? But notice that what we already knew was that Satan is demonic, of course. And then the, the Antichrist is led by demons. And the false prophet is led by demons. And we should not be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We should not be surprised when an ungodly world is chasing after ungodly things and they're blaspheming the Lord. By the way, people being aligned with Satan is bolder today than I've ever seen it in my life. It's insanity to me. And the things that we look at and when you see, you think, how in the world did anybody think this is okay? Let me tell you how. They don't know Jesus. They're spiritually dead. It's all demonic and the enemy is drawing them away from the Lord. And guys, we need to step in and go, hey, by the way, the Lord loves you, bro. Jesus loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. And you need to be born again. You need to be saved. And then, do you know that you're a sinner? That's my first question I love to ask people when I witness to them. So let me ask you a quick, a quick one. 
especially on planes. Where are you going? I got you. I get the aisle. You're there. Where are you going? But I'll, I will bring like a hundred dollar bill with me on purpose and say, hey, bro, if, uh, have you kept all the Ten Commandments? Like, oh, no, no. You think you've kept most of them? Eh, probably. I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. We're not going anywhere. Here's a hundred dollar bill. I will go through the Ten Commandments. And there's, if there's one that you haven't violated, I'll give you the hundred dollars. You want to do it? They always say yes. They got nowhere to go. And they think, I didn't kill anybody. So yeah, I'm going to make a hundred bucks. And then you go through the Ten Commandments. We know when it gets to murder, they say, well, I don't murder anybody. Well, the Bible says, if you had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. And by the way, you already told me you're a liar, so I'm not going to believe you anyway. Amen? (laughs) But the point is, until we recognize we're a sinner, we'll see no need for a Savior. And their hearts are so hard, they don't recognize that they're sinners. They think they're entitled to what they... And they're mad at God. They're not being given what their flesh wants, and their flesh is ruling them. So either your flesh is ruling you, or the Holy Spirit is ruling you. Either you're on the throne of your life or Almighty God's on the throne of your life. You're either walking in fellowship with God or rebellion against God. You gotta choose one, amen? So these unclean spirits, pictured here like frogs, and it's interesting because ancient Jews regarded frogs as unclean and repulsive, and each member of the unholy trinity, if you will, the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet, spirits of demons pouring out of their mouths. Verse 14, for there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Guess who wins that battle? It's called the great day of God Almighty. It's not the great day of the antichrist. It's not the great day of, of Satan. It's the great day of God Almighty. It's interesting. They're going to use signs to gather people up. The Bible tells us that a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a sign. Is our God still doing miracles? What's the answer? He is. That being said, we shouldn't be moved by signs alone. We should be, the the thing that really should transform our lives is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Okay. So Satan is still under the delusion at this point that he can win. Let's get a big army. Let's get ready, and we'll fight him. Oh, you'd have think uh, you're getting cast out of heaven. Would have, you'd have figured that out. So he and his demons are going to deceive the nations. Kings will align with them, and they're going to start marching towards Israel. In the last days, we'll call good evil and evil good. Guys, we're living in it. Notice what it says in verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they shame him. I'm coming as a thief. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. A thief breaks in when no one is watching. And the words of encouragement from the Lord here is be ready for his return. We should live every day as if he's going to come back today. Be ready. When he comes back, may we find us busy about his work to escape the wrath to come. God's righteous judgment. We must be clothed in righteousness. You know, if we don't know the Lord, we're naked, right? When we, we give our life to him, we're clothed in him. We're clothed in his righteousness. So when he comes back, and if you're not clothed in his righteousness, you're going to be found naked and unprepared. And that's really what this verse is talking about. Then it says, and they gathered together in a place in Hebrew called what? Armageddon. Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, it's almost, it's the hill of Megiddo. And over time, there's been over 200 battles that have taken place on this spot. And it's one of the most perfect places for a battle. And when you go there, you'll see all these civilizations. When you go to Israel, what'll happen is they'll do a dig. And then like when a, a, a land or a people 
get destroyed, then they just bury it and build another one and bury it and build another one and bury it and build. And so you see these big like mountains they are called a har, har Megiddo. So it's there that that on that mountain, you see all these generations and it's in that place where all these, all these battles have taken place that the final battle will take place. Let's finish up. It says there in verse uh, 17, the last point, seventh bowl, the holder shaken, 100 pound hailstones. Is the seventh angel poured out his bowl into what? So we've already got the earth, we've got the sea, we've got the throne, right? We've got, I mean, literally every part of the earth. And now he's going to pour it out into the air. And by the way, Satan is called the prince of the power of the what? Okay, so here's the righteous judgment. It's coming. Then it says here, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. So it is finished on the cross where the price was paid, where sinners repent and are born again. And it is done here at, in the last day, and that, that day of the Lord, when the righteous judgment of God is poured out upon those who reject him. It is finished for those who surrender life to the Lord. It is done for those who choose to reject him. And it says in verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. There have been some huge earthquakes, but this earthquake, look what it says in the next verse. Uh, well, it talks about these earthquakes. They're going to be so big that literally down in verse 20, we'll see it, that islands and mountains fly away. It's going to be so huge. So he pours out this into the air. Thunders and lightnings come with it. A loud voice comes from the throne in heaven, the voice of almighty God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And now literally he is going to pour out his righteous judgment finally on the earth. It says there in verse 19, it says, now that great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of wine of the fierceness of her wrath. Babylon, as we know, you know, in the old days, it was who, you know, who led Babylon when Daniel was around? King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Saddam Hussein said he wanted to be the next Nebuchadnezzar. And so Babylon, the, the, the place where the Antichrist will reign is there. And so, that, so the righteous judgment is coming upon the place where his throne was. And it says this in Haggai, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord God Almighty. The earthquake will be so severe. Look at verse 20. It says, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. When you level all the mountains, that's an earthquake, Amen. So in the midst of all of this, it's just overwhelming. And there's still, you would think somebody would repent. We don't see one person repent during these judgments. And it's also true that the word tells us that once they've taken the mark of the beast, it really is too late. Back in verse 19, just real quickly, it says that the, uh, the city will be divided in three. Just some of the things, the Mount of Olives, we know when the Lord comes back, is going to be split in two. There's going to be a new river flowing east to west. Some other things will take place. A spring of water will flow year-round from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean and Dead Sea, causing the desert to bloom like with roses. It's going to be beautiful. Jerusalem will be elevated and surrounding area will be flattened. And Babylon, because of her, will, will deal with all of the plagues because Babylon was a place that was uh, contrary to God, and they were enemies of the Lord. And therefore, he plagues will come in a day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire 
for strong is the Lord who judges her. That last verse, it says there, and a great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Some people, most people would gauge this between 100 and 120 pounds. So where do you hide from a 120 pound hailstone? Nowhere. Then it says, so these, these hailstones are falling from the sky and the men repented. What does it say? They men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Again, instead of repenting, they blame God because God would dare bring righteous judgment upon an ungodly world. Guys, God's not wrong. God doesn't need to uh, show us grace in those areas. God already did that through, by sending his son to suffer and die. And you know what? When, when the consequences of sin come, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Amen? You could say this is a great chapter. It describes a great evil, a great city, great Babylon, a great tools of judgment, great heat, great river dried up, a great earthquake, a great hail, great plagues, because it describes a great God. Amen? His great voice coming from the throne and it's going to lead to a great day of victory. And you want to come back for the rest of the chapters because Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and awesome God. And Lord, we look at these coming events that may be in the not too distant future. And Lord, our hearts break for those who are not saved. And Lord, for all of us, may we be reminded of the incredible grace you poured out upon us. And at the same time, give us a burden for the lost. Help us to be less concerned about how they feel about us than sharing the truth that they might come to know you. I pray, Lord, if anybody's here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So I'm not asking you to join a church or an organization, but really it's just between you and the Lord. Are you ready to give your life to him? To not just make him savior because you want to get out of hell free card, but to make him the Lord of your life, to surrender your life fully to him. If you're here today, I'm going to give you a chance to do that by just openly confessing him, by just raising your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we do, we thank you, we praise you. Lord, we know we deserve all this judgment we saw in the chapter today, but we're so thankful that because of Jesus, we will never face any of it. Because he endured the torment, the suffering, and the shame, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed. No one will ever snatch us out of your hand. You've written our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're preparing a place for us in heaven. And Lord, we should never feel self-righteous or arrogant because of that. We should be humbled by that, Lord. Humbled by your grace. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.